0: Watch this. No way! I'm just going to do it from the top. Hello, welcome back to an episode of the Cookie Jar Golf Podcast. I'm Tom Mills and today I'm joined by Zane Scotland. Zane, you professional golfer, broadcaster, coach... Sum yourself up in three sentences.
1: All of those things. So, uh, Equatorian professional still lives in my head that it could still one day happen. Uh, golf coach um, started to work in broadcasts, which has been interesting. Do a little bit on Sky, putting people to sleep on a Friday night in the studio. And then work for the BBC doing some of the radio more on course and like commentary, that side of things. That's a little bit different. Golf lover. I think if I was to really sum it up in everything, I would say my title would be Sane Scotland Golf Pervert.
0: Yeah, I think so. I think you've got most bases covered. There's not much you don't do in golf, is there?
1: There's yeah, I like most things but the one thing I would say which has never left me since I started when I was 11 or 12 years old is that I still wake up thinking about golf. And if I ever have, <laughs> have a stressful situation and I'm thinking, I don't want to be thinking about this, I literally start thinking about my golf. Like that is one thing. That is, just, it know, golf, that's is it your golf? That's my go-to.
0: Or is it like, when, when, when you, what's, what's your go-to? Are you thinking about your own swing or are you thinking about score or are you thinking about like what's happened in the world of golf?
1: I'm thinking about my own game. <laughs> that is like... A golf
0: narcissist. Yeah,
1: oh, a complete na- like golf narcissist. Williams. Yeah, like that is my one, one place. Because I think if, if I lost everything, everything went awry and it was like, you know, like I'm legends kind of stuff. <laughs> I would still just get up and play golf. I know that I, golf will be there for me.
0: As long as you've got the sticks. Um, this is your second time on the podcast that you came on, I'd say, nearly three years ago.
1: Yeah, I think it was probably pre-COVID.
0: Yeah, yeah. A saying. long time ago. Um, things have moved on. We, we've we've spent a bit of time together since. We were, I've just, we're down at Leatherhead, where you've got the Zane Scotland Academy. that uh, one you briefly, we're just overlooking it now, actually, in the pouring down rain. Um, what's happening with the Zane Scotland Academy?
1: So the uh, Academy is, was born out of, it kind of came about, by accident, about 10, 12 years too early. I was playing uh, in the Middle East on a Mina Tour. My back was starting to give way a bit, so I was, starting to struggle a bit with playing full time but I'd taken a keen interest in the golf swing and I had used one of the Mac coaches for a, a number of years and I'd been on some of the Mac O'Grady golf schools. so I'd kind of taken a keen interest in the technique and so I would always be filming my swing and so forth and one of the players out there young player at the time was an amateur let's say he was like 12, 1300 in the world a lad called Todd Clements English lad seventeen, eighteen run the range one day and he saw me with my camera and he was like, oh, can you have a look at my golf swing? I was like, uh, yeah, right. You know, playing in the same tournament, but he was an amateur, so there was no like, yeah, oh, I'm not worried about helping somebody. Even if he beats uh, me by one, I yeah, still get my prize yeah, exactly. money. exactly. <laughs> yeah, do what you want, mate. Um, and yeah, and I just kind of gave him a couple of little pointers and he went off and played well. And then he kind of came back the next week and he said, uh, can you have a look at my swing again? And I was like, yeah, okay. And then that just kind of like, that grew out really and across... About three months later, he said to me, will you be my full-time coach? And at that point, I was thinking, you know, kind of like mid-30s, thinking like, I'm probably going to have an academy when I'm like, you know, 45, 50. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, yeah. My back wasn't great. So I thought, oh, I've got time. I can help him. I'm not playing as much. So we did that. And over about an 18-month period, he went from like, let's say, number 1,400 in the world, amateur rankings, up to number six or eight in the world. Oh, wow. And I think kind of, like 600. of them. Yeah, like, oh, that's not bad. He's bounded up the world rankings. And off of that, kind of born the academy because then, you know, one of his pals will come along and be like, yeah, oh, I'll see what we've done with Todd. Can you, can you do, you know, can you have a look at my game? Another one, another one will come along. I'll see what you've done. And they're kind of born out from good golfers and elite golfers. And then there's one thing that you start to realise as a coach is that working with good golfers is a freaking nightmare. Really? And I can... Is it not easier? Working I can with... say that because I've been one of them. Yeah. Because... Essentially, what you get is you get youngsters that don't really have any money and have loads and loads of time and it means everything to them. So yeah. then as the coach, you're like, they, they're, they're, they're wanting loads of your time, but haven't really got the money to pay you. But I empathize with them because I've been in that position yeah. and you, you know how much it means to them. And then the other part is you are kind of having to coach them through life a little bit as well yeah. on how to manage things so like they're just like the most taxing and then really? and then you get the other part which is like oh I've seen what you've done for Todd can you do that for me and it's like well I can give you what I gave to Todd but also Todd's really talented yeah. he's actually also really good and he applies himself really well yeah. so he's a, he's a talent which has now come to the fore because he's now pressed on in his rookie season this year he's, he's won, he won the Czech Masters yeah. so you know he was obviously destined for that and that was a piece of his journey and he's now moved on he works with Liam James on tour full-time yeah which and again for me it was like I had to make a decision do I want to go out in the rat race to be on the tour as a coach and it was like no
0: so that's a I mean right look, I need to, to, to say that this is going to be an eclectic podcast but it's nice to get a little bit of background so if when you're because you always know like the like the rat race of the tour as a player and obviously, it's hard. It's a grind. You've got to travel a lot. You know, it's not necessarily guaranteed any money or whatever. It's a similar thing for coaches. They need to travel with the players, do they?
1: Yeah. So that the coaches would have to be there. Some coaches would do it all week. Mainly, of them would do like a Monday to Thursday morning and get out of there. Yeah. And the smart ones that want to pick up players will hang around on a Friday afternoon because that's yes, when you pick up the guys <laughs> that missed the cut <laughs> and they're all pissed off with life. Um. So, yeah, and it is, and it is a real rat race because it's you don't get to venture much. If you've got a bunch of players, you don't get to, you can't really venture too far from the driving range because you yeah. haven't got time to get on the golf course. Yeah. And you're having to like, and there's not much you can do. You can't change a player's game much at a tournament. Yeah. So that's also difficult. More like
0: mental coaching, I suppose. Is yeah.
1: It? And it's a little bit, I mean, and I can say this because I was one of those players. You have to babysit. Yeah. And if you're good at that, then that's that's an art. But if you're, if you want to get into the nuts and bolts, and really get into the trenches. Doing it on a Wednesday afternoon is is not the place at been. Yeah. So yeah, it's and it's tough. And then and I think also being an ex-player, like I still like playing golf too yeah. much. And there's still a, there's still a piece of me thinking like,
0: does it hurt when you're there and you're not you're not playing? I've
1: been there a couple of times. Yeah, I was actually there because you're
0: the, still a very very good golfer.
1: I was at the Kazoo Open um, at London Club a couple of seasons ago, and a friend of mine, Sue Tiley, who's from Down at Deal, good golfer, been bounced in the main tour and the challenge to for a a lot of years and he said, I'm struggling a little bit, can you come down? And so I went down to help him. And, you know, you kinda of walk into the range and there's guys you know there, you know, other coaches now now I know the kind of the coach scene as well. So you know those guys. And I'm looking along and I'm giving a lesson to this guy and he's uh, this guy Steve, a pal of mine. And he said, no okay, but it's not, you know, not quite where he wants it to be. And there's that piece of me is like Give me the club. <laughs> right, see this and this, and I'm hitting shots down the range. I'm hitting nice shots because I can demo well. And uh, and one of my other pals is a coach. He was like about three days down. say. we're having about ba- like a like a a beer after the end of the day. And he's like, I saw you out uh, hitting balls there. Like, oh, I, I can I could never do that. Like, but I was thinking like, all I was I was there. All I'm thinking is like, I just want to go play. <laughs> like, I, I can literally go and hit up, you know. So. Uh, and that's I guess that's that part of it is in me I think I would probably find that difficult being in yeah. there you've got to love it yeah, like yeah. For, so for instance like Liam James has an example he'll be there all week he loves it he's there at seven in the morning and he'll work with he'll work with I don't know five six seven eight players in a day and he'll be there till, till late and he'll hang around the range and he'll just watch him hit balls after ball after ball and this it's not my uh, style of coaching
0: yeah so you've got the academy here we're overlooking at you this is pretty much brand spanking new newly built you've kind of i think leather it's fair to say Leatherhead's going through a bit of a transformation in terms of we're sat in a wonderful clubhouse i just had finest omelette i'd say yeah the food is my i mean if you if you look to leatherhead sort of tags on instagram it's always just like pancakes and omelettes and smashed avo but um wonderful clubhouse has been renovated and you've got this this area tell us about what you're doing out there
1: yeah, so we, there, there was a practice ground here, which was a, basically was a field with kind of four mats, four hitting bays, no cover, anything. It was quite kind of overgrown, no real targets. And uh, the, the owners, introduced the owner, James Davis and Scott Dan, um, at the beginning of this year in March 23. They bought the course in, or the club in June 22. And they were kind of explained this is the journey we're on. We want to make a really nice golf club for like a kind of modern day-ish, like still keeping the golf, but like, you know, for young families, a welcoming place that, you know, you don't have to be, like to to a lot of people who won't like it, you can wear your hat in the clubhouse, like it's yeah. fine. So, and that's what they started to create and they wanted to bring us in and said like, can you help us with the academy? And we're like, yeah, absolutely. So, they've invested heavily and really been really open-minded and now we've got, it's kind of, it's still a bit boutique 13 bay track man range. Yeah. We've got our academy up on the right-hand side, which had four bays. We're going to cultivate another bay um, at some point. We've got off the back of that. Now we've got a good home here. We've got a lovely looking range and then just trying to have a real nice environment. So we've got some good coaches now. We've got five coaches. Myself, uh, Josh White, who uh, played in the Retro Golf Day, actually won the gross at the the recent Retro Golf Day. 67. I think that
0: equaled the course record at West
1: Byfleet. He's annoyingly good. Um, and then Henny Koyak, Mike Raven. I've got one coach here, called guy called Billy Irvine, which is like, he's like a hidden gem. Yeah. He's like, not on social media, but we call him Splinter because he's like, he just knows everything you need to know about a golf <laughs> swing, he's the man. <laughs> and so we all like sneakily use him for like our own golf game. So yeah, he's great. And then we just had another, another one of our friends, Lee Mackie, he's come over from Halton Park. He started just over here. So we've got a nice mix of coaches yeah. now and just oh, trying to make a nice environment
0: yeah and that retro day you came to was um, it was good you, you, you managed to break out the old teazoids that you played in the in the first Carnoustie Open with 1999 yeah. Carnoustie Open yeah that 1999 um, Carnoustie Open found which, those clubs in your old man's garage
1: yeah didn't know they were going to be there I was looking for some on eBay couldn't really find any of the right shafts I was just chatting to my dad about it and he said but I've got those I've got your ones from the open in the, in the garage <laughs> I was like okay, yeah, perfect. And then walking down the first, when you and I were chatting, Tom, yeah, um, kind of realised there's still dirt in these grooves. And I thought the last time I used these was on the Friday afternoon of the Carnoustie Open in in '99 because I Maduna gave me a new set of clubs that week and in true like but there's, there's star, no dirt
0: at Carnoustie Zone. That's not it's absolutely it's, untrue. <laughs> I,
1: I did. I found it that week. There's plenty of it that week. Uh, yeah. So that and that was um. Yeah, it was a bit of an emotional first few holes using those
0: how did how did you find um but you know speaking as a coach and a a, a decent player going back to to retro clubs and and using that equipment how did that all feel
1: i don't know the irons oddly enough is no different Really, no different the shaft cinema rifles which you could use today the specs are slightly weaker but the irons are no different like you know they went the same distance as, as i would expect um absolutely no problems. I used persimmon woods on the day, which is a completely different, different piece, almost different yeah. sport. And it makes you, what, what I like about it was it makes you see the holes completely differently. So you get a tight, short path four with overhanging trees and maybe a couple of bunkers. With modern day, one, modern day equipment, you can just go over the trees and over everything. Yeah. No choice. Whereas you can still get it up there, but with the wooden, with the persimmon or the older equipment, you have to kind of funnel it Yeah, into the same spot. It use just, the ground a bit more. It just makes you look at the golf course in a completely different way.
0: Yeah, I suppose for good players when they see like, bunk, all they see is, you know, bunker at 300. Well, I'm not going to go in that. Bunker mm. at 220, I'm not going to go in that. And you can ignore everything yeah. short and long of that. And it's kind of like, okay, well, that's what I'm going for. But yeah, with the hickories. So much more engaging. With the persimmon, sorry, not hickories. It's, uh, yeah, you need to get a bit more run on the ball. Yeah, a lot more, yeah. But no, it's good fun. Um, but we're here. We're here to get you on for your eclectic 18. And... Um, thank you for agreeing to come and do it. We, I'd say there were some panic additions over the pancakes this morning. Panic
1: additions, but actually you pulled out a couple of my best ones. So, I'm actually oh, really? really you really pleased with the, with the
0: ones at the end? Okay, so we, I gave you a remit of uh, I want this to be about your. I want this to tell the story of you as a golfer. Let's not try and pick the best eighteen holes because uh, everyone likes the eighteenth of St Andrews. It was just a, it's just a thing. So you come up with. I must say, a wonderfully eclectic eighteen. Um, what's kind of the, some of the standout stories in here? Because you've got some really lovely stories attached to to some of these holes. So, uh, where do you want to kick it off?
1: Well, I think let's start at the first. I mean, this one this one was a, a complete no brainer. And as soon as you mentioned it to me, and I was thinking, right, my eclectic eighteen, it just had to have this hole in there. And it wouldn't be a well-known hole to many people but the first hole at Woodcote park golf club which is where i grew up you know where i kind of like kind of made a made my golf in life and that kind of that cemented up that was the place when i was like right i'm in a really good environment and i love golf and I, that was where i spent my summers as a junior like what, what age have, did you start playing golf so i would have started at um just before my 12th birthday so i was maybe 11. okay yeah about i was about yeah i was 11 yeah. when i started um, and I wasn't allowed to join a club at that age. Okay.
0: Um, so it's going down with,
1: with yeah, your dad? Yeah, my actual and... first club was a place called Cobertry Manor, which is a public course. And the private courses in my area where I lived, you weren't allowed to join until you were 14. Okay. So I'd, in my first year, I'd kind of got I, at this public course, I'd which was about an hour away. I'd gotten a handicap of 19, so I could play, but I wasn't allowed to join anywhere. Yeah. And then I went to this club, went to Woodcote Park, and it had a junior organizer there. And I went in, and you had to get, uh, for a, like an introductory meeting and I had to wear jacket and tie all that sort of stuff as a kid it was like ridiculous gotta wear a shirt and tie to a golf club and <laughs> and his son was a good golfer and you golfer. still think it so yeah, that's yeah, good yeah exactly <laughs> uh, it's okay in some places just not everywhere not everywhere and then uh, yeah and his, his son was a good player and he said to me and he asked me about my golfing what I liked about golf and you know what my standard was and so forth and he said to me how old are you and I said well I'm 12 and he just looked at me and he went if anyone here asks, you're 14. Welcome to the club. Oh, lovely. So, um, yeah, and then, and then kind of what I went... And then the, the other course in the area, as I got better, you know, a few years later, they yeah, were like, like oh, I went to them first. They were like, oh, we wish you take a you on. But, like, this one yeah. man put a bit of faith in me. And Is that still a thing? Really.
0: There's, like, minimum age to join? or
1: I don't think so. I, I, I do get the feeling that a lot of golf clubs don't necessarily like juniors. They either really? embrace them fully or they're like... I think they
0: embrace really good juniors. Yeah. You know?
1: And it's like it's so much commerciality in clubs these days. Yeah. Juniors don't bring in much revenue yeah. in the short term, and that's what it looked at. They don't look look beyond that, that makes that is your future membership to the golf club. But they just junior memberships are just cheap and yeah. everybody's trying to make clogs the course. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. So you've got you've you've joined you've joined Woodco.
1: This is in, in Surrey, in Coolsden, Surrey. Uh, the first hole, which in today's by today's measures is an, a, a nice length par 4 of 460 yards back then it was an absolute beast yeah you know I could just about reach the fairway and at about 3 about 280 290 the, the bunkers right and left hand side of the fairway and there's a small gap there in the middle and so when we started off you'd get in the junior medal and everyone would be on the first tee and it was about could I reach the fairway <laughs> yeah and if you could reach the fairway, that meant you got a good lie, which meant you could possibly carry the bunkers with your second shot to leave yourself a nine nine to the green. Yeah. So that was like always like your benchmark of how far you could hit it. And then then there came the day when it was like I could get you know, get a bit older and it was like, oh, I can actually get comfortably onto the fairway and I can almost reach with a fairway wood. So to drive a yeah. fairway wood to get to it. And that was like the next level. And then, then came the day, was like the day when you hit a driver off the first hole and it went into the bunkers. <laughs> and it was like, you're under the lip, but you were so happy that you'd hit it so far. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was like, yeah, I'm in the bunker. Like, you know. Showing off. But yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're in a horrible position. But actually, it's completely stupid. <laughs> and then, so then that, that, that was kind of the benchmark of like, now, you know, you can be a category one golfer pretty much. And that was like, you you're made into that section of the club because it was a, from my generation of juniors juniors there, we had I think ten of us or eleven of us became professional golfers. wow so it was really competitive. That's cool. The environment was great. i mean, didn't really have a practice ground, but we had a great environment. So that was that. And then and then yeah, and then then the next part was when the new when he got really good, got to scratch plus handicaps, and then these springy drivers came out. Yeah. Now all of a sudden this hole which one day was a three shot hole was now I'm gonna hit my Callaway ERC two driver. It's going to fly those bunkers. So it's going to fly 300, 310 yards and it's going to bound on. And now I'm hitting my second shot from, you know, 90 yards, 100 yards out, which was just like, it was like a, it's like a real like coming of age. That's yeah. where you are in your golfing life if you can do that.
0: And you kind of look at it and it, it, you've got your whole growth in golf through one hole.
1: Exactly. Yeah, That that is, it just says everything. And now, now being a bit older, probably um, with equipment, I can't make that, but again now I know that I've got to hit like a, a necky driver or a little through to lay up and I'm bringing a strategy in because I can't just overpower like when I was a youngster so now I'm a bit older I'm using strategy to manage it so it's just like that one hole for me just like it's kind of ho- completely told me where I'm at in my <laughs> golfing life it's much. the
0: barometer of your golf. <laughs> one day Korea. I'll be taking three shots
1: to get there again <laughs>
0: <laughs> do you think you're, you're a substantially different golfer from when you were like when you were clearing it and and um on, what, what, what we talk about what age are we talking about there like 18 19
1: yeah kind of 18 19 just before being a professional golfer yeah would have been the time um yeah that and, and that, I, I was a different golfer I used, to, I used to be quite long when I was an amateur like in the England team I would have been in, in the top two or three longest hitters you know um whereas now I'd be like more definitely like a medium hitter yeah. think my way around the golf course and probably a little bit through injury and you know, and just and just youth and age in general, really. And I see the game a bit differently to how you used to. Yeah. Um. So that's been a bit of an evolution. Um.
0: As a coach, do you see that as like a difficult thing to do with your students? There's kind of expectation management of you're not going to do the same things you did when you were yeah, in your early I 20s.
1: I kind of liken it a little bit to like Ryan Giggs. I'm a Manchester United fan. Probably loads of people log off now. <laughs> um, and uh, and Ryan Giggs, obviously, he was like the young fast winger at like 19, 20, or, yeah, 17, 18, 19, 20, up to 25. And then from 30, it's, he, I remember reading his book, and he said from 30 years old, he's never done one sprint because yeah, hamstrings would yeah. go. And so he adapted his game to then be move across into the middle, play smarter. So essentially, like he won Champions League being a young star, won trophies being a young, young star, being like the big flash down the wing and then continued to win trophies and he evolved with time a bit like you know uh, I guess guess Tiger's probably a little bit that way yeah you just have to like recognize that you're evolving and you can still get it done but you just do it a different way like yes I'd like to smash at miles still but my body would break yeah (laughs) I don't want to play until I'm like dropping dead so I had to manage that accordingly
0: um, you've got your the. I'm going to jump jump to the third. We can always go back on these things. I'm going to jump across to the third um, hole you've chosen at Carnoustie. So this would have been um, you as a whippersnapper, 16 years old, qualified for the Open Championship. Why did you go for the? I, I would have thought that you could have probably picked any hole of Carnoustie because that must that week must have been amazing. Uh, why the third?
1: Pick the third because that week of '99. The golf course was set up, set up so difficult, it was a complete beast, like tiny fairways, the rough had been fertilized. The winning score was plus six maybe. the cut was plus 12 or plus 14, just ridiculous scores. and um, so every hole was so daunting and intimidating, mm. which kind of for me ruined the golf course in a way, because Kaus is a great great yeah. track, but its identity had been taken away by setup. And that was like the third hole. So the first hole is obviously is the first hole. The open at Daunton. The second hole it's again super tight. You know, it was super windy. Every hole you got on was just a complete like. How am I? If I just make bogey here, that's a good score. It's wild, isn't it? And the third hole was the one hole that couldn't really be tricked around with because it's kind of a wideish fairway with water running across it. Yeah, it's a short par four, so it wasn't done in by length. And it was the one hole where you thought this is this hole is like this you know March December during an open during a normal year and it was one that wasn't messed around with and it was a slight it was an after the pressure of like the first two holes which you're just bricking it because you're playing in the open championship the third was a slight little breather of like a tiny bit of respite in the whole round to like I'm going to make a par or a birdie here it was every other every single other hole was just like just don't have a just, just don't make any more than a bogey and that that was and that was a good score, so and it's just I think it's just a lovely little hole and I'm real a big fan of short par fours that aren't we all that give you options like I can lay up and wedge it on or I can try and get down close to the green or you know they can tuck a pin to where like actually down close to the green is no good so you, it's, I love short par fours because you get on the tee and you have to think where's the pin and then that and work backwards Yeah. rather than walking onto a hole be like this is if it's not a par three it's driver. Yeah, yeah. It's that that kind of I, just, I really like that, and there's one hole that, like you know, played a lot of golf since then. And when I think back to that Open, from, you know, there's moments I think about, but when I think about holes that I like, it was always nice to get onto the third hole.
0: There's another story that I hoped would come up about Carnoustie, uh, which I'm going to push on, uh, was the practice round that you did before the Open with your dad. Uh, when you were practicing bunker shots.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I think that would have been on the, I think it was on the fourth hole. The, yeah, I think it was on the fourth hole, first practice round. And this this came up when we were at the That was chatting to your dad, uh, and He, he volunteered this
0: to me. I thought, yeah. I thought, I'm not letting this go. <laughs> I,
1: I couldn't, and, and t- it reminded me. I was like, oh, yeah, I did do that. And it's funny because, I mean, that's a complete evolution of the person I've become now to what I was then. So I was like 16 years old, had been playing golf for five years, found myself, in an Open Championship and so I was obviously quite sure of myself and what I could do and what, what I was, where I was trying to go and we get to like the fourth hole and um, we played up, putted I thought oh, I want to go hit some bunker shots get a couple of balls in the caddy go into the bunker and uh, so I'm practising my bunker shots and it's just slow it's practice round it's like a Tuesday whatever, Tuesday or Wednesday and there's like people there's like a sea of people walking around and there's people waiting in the fairways like gripping on the next tee and um yeah, so anyway he brought this up I remembered it. And he said he and he's kinda of walked up to the edge, of the edge of the bunker, he's like looking and he's like overlooking me. I'm practicing feeling my grip or something. This is your dad, yeah. He's, my dad, yeah. yeah. And he's like, come on, mate, probably need to get on here. I'm like, No, I'm working, I'm practicing, my shirt, I'm practicing here. And he's like, There's Tiger's down waiting. And I'm about <laughs> down the fairway and Tiger's like leaning on his club, you know, a bit like Teapotting. But like, Oh, come on. But but in that moment I wasn't pushed at all I was just like I don't care we're playing in the same golf tournament I'm preparing as well and it was like and I remember my dad thinking oh okay <laughs> and maybe because you're, you feel like a bit serious a bit under pressure I kind of it snapped, at me, it snapped at me a little bit like what do, you, what do you mean like as if I should get out of the way because he's playing like we're both just golfers but that was that was my <laughs> that was why I got into the Open at that time because I was yeah. just thinking this is what you do it's... Whereas now, but fast forwards when I got to play it in 2010 um, at St Andrews there's a bunch of double greens and there was there was an occasion I was on 13 he was on 5 and you can't take it in turn to who's going to putt so I was you're kind of looking across and he's over on by, the, by his cup so he's got like a 15 foot putt for his putt for his par or for his birdie and I've got like a 10 foot putt and we're like looking at each other and he kind of gives me a nod like you can, you can go first so that, but then I'm over my putt and I'm looking down at the ball and all I can think about is Tiger Woods. <laughs> so my, my putt is moving and I'm thinking about my, my brain is just over with Tiger Woods 40 yards away. And it was, just, it was such a different moment to when I was 16 when I was like young and naive and arrogant yeah. and don't give a shit about anybody.
0: It's wild though, isn't it? Because I think if you don't have if you don't have that brashness, if you're not that kind of confident, you probably don't qualify for the Open at 16. It's It's it is amazing that you know and youth is wasted on yeah. the young
1: With the, the when it when i did qualify it became a quite a big thing in the press and i ended up doing loads of interviews and then tv cameras turned up and there was you know autographs and so forth and i genuinely genuinely could not understand it because all i could think was like i'm only doing what i was supposed to do <laughs> like why is this a fuss whereas now i look back and think oh that's quite an achievement that, yeah, at that time was... i was thinking but I knew I could shoot six under, six or seven under over two rounds. Yeah. Why would, why would I even be here if I didn't, didn't think I could do yeah. that? I wouldn't try and qualify, would I? It was, you know, just as a kid, you have a funny attitude. It's, it's,
0: uh <laughs> it certainly is something that that you look back on. and It's like I can, I can understand the thought process. Like, well, yeah, I was supposed to shoot three under, three under, wasn't I? What's the, what's the big deal? That's what I was supposed to do. <laughs> um just skipping about here we've got we got a couple of uh interesting ones so you've you've provided me little notes so it's it's like nice hole draw fade uh i'm going to go to nearby make or break i'm going to go to number seven uh mm.
1: yeah so number seven the crown yeah, is quite a famous hole it's a short par four it's where they played the amiga so Cransier is where they paid the amiga masters were pretty much whole my generation of playing golf and anyone that watches golf and would know it, it's a short par four, it's about three hundred, three ten, three thirty, 330, depending on where they put the pin position. It's altitude, so it's completely reachable. Like the guys these days hit anywhere from like a three iron to probably a three wood. Yeah. Probably not quite driver. And um, I'd played there a few times uh, as an amateur in the Amiga Masters and a, as a professional. And it's, I think most golfers can relate to this. It's like a, well some golfers can relate to it. It's a, it's such an easy hole. You can drive it. You can make an eagle. It can set your round off. But just right at the green is out of bounds. Yeah. So it's one of those holes which, like, you could you could step up there three or four days in a row in a tournament and ping it on the green, two-pup for birdie. Because that's, you know, that's the part of my round that gets going and I start to make birdies. But in that same breath, as you're over the ball, you're thinking, yeah, but if I spoon this right and make a double bogey here, I'm, you know, on trunk stand, I'm going home for the weekend. yeah. So in that premise, it gets really, it's a real nervy hole, which should be an easy hole. And, and it's known, basically that hole is known for the views that like you walk out to the tee and you can see all the, all the mountains around yeah. you. And it's like, looks like a picture, but as a player, it's such a nervy, great, short little par three that, yeah, I, I actually found it kind of awkward and difficult to like you know like to just stand up well, and, a part and four, swing, part swing four, yeah,
0: but you feel like you should make a three like it really it does. it's one of those ones I think that um, you know Sam talks about it all the time it's these short fours that that you should make a three 18 at the old course being another one they feel like if you don't make a three you're moving backwards just getting away from you yeah, yeah.
1: It's and like the four foot putt. It's like a, a, well, a, a ten foot putt mentally, in a four foot putt, because you're supposed to make a four footer. <laughs> yeah. Whereas a ten footer, like you, you, you move a bit more freely. Yeah. And Polk's like still the same um, size. The ball's still the same size.
0: In Marco Simone this year, there was that. I think it was the sixteenth. Mm-hmm. Uh, was a par four. Precisely that. Yeah. Uh, but you were supposed to make a three, and r- ridiculously, and this is why I don't get about golf is if, if at Marco Simone, I think that the stroke average would have been somewhere like three, three point three, three point four that week. Um, if that was called a par three the whole world would be been uproar Say so it's absolutely horrendous or well, it drives yeah. into it but it's just a number yeah. like who cares exactly
1: yeah but and it, and it creates like hero or villain like you know, yeah. you've know, got Ricky Fowler spoons it into the water oh, how's he done that you know it's the only place you can't go Tommy Fleetwood plays on the the peachiest drive of his whole life and he'll yeah. have that I'm pretty sure he's got that drive and that shot tracer on repeat in his house <laughs> in his academy for the rest of his days you know
0: um, I'm going to go back to the to, to number four for a bit, um, only because it's a place that I know and love, and has gone through a massive transformation. Talk me through the fourth at the Addington.
1: So yes, the fourth at the Addington. Um, the Addington somewhere is, is close to my heart in golf because one, I'm friends with Ryan. Ryan's a friend of the jar, and what he's doing at the Addington, restoring like such a fantastic piece of land it's like really unique and the amount of passion that he'd put into it and you can see coming through especially in this day and age where so much of it is about you know return on your buck guaranteed um and maybe just doing what what's going what you should do rather than like not what you should do but what makes sense over yeah. like what you what you should be doing and he's he's really taken that and and the golf course has just transformed so much over the last 5 Five, ten years. Yeah. Like I'll say to somebody, if you haven't played there for ten years, play it now, you will not recognise it. And I just think that what's going on there, every time I go there now, you know, being a member, I, just, I can't wait to get there, can't wait to see what what's the new change. I mean, just playing there in the summer, I remember walking to one of the tees, uh, walk off walk off in the night of green, walk up across the next tee and thinking, Oh my God, there's a new hole. And I was thinking, I was here. A month ago, <laughs> and there's, there's a new hole. It's just something, something that's been unearthed yeah. the whole time. It's like, and it's not being cultivated out of like adding things in. It's just like, this used to be here and then unearthing it. Yeah. It's like, wow. And there's just like a real magic to that. And
0: that's a new little drop shot par three they've put on, isn't it? Yeah.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So coming back to the fourth, I think the, what I like about the fourth is it's an interesting start. You've got the par three up the hill, par five, par three. And then you've got like this real strong. Par four, fourth hole, low stroke index. It bangs left to right from the tee. But then up the second half of the hole, there's overhanging trees on the right-hand side and an infinity bunker by the green. So in that, I I feel like it's a true ball striker's hole. And you get on the tee, you think, I need to draw this to the left half of the fairway into the slope to leave myself in a good position to then be able to fade a mid to long iron into the green because mm. you can't really draw it into that green because you will catch the trees you have to do something quite exceptional you have to go way over them so it's kind of a hole that asks those questions of a good ball striker can I draw this off the tee and hit a decent distance and then can of now get in the fairway and move the a mid-iron left to right and stop the ball softly and I feel, feel like that early on in the round you pull those two shots off that just sets your tone for the rest of the day you know where you are now If you hit, it, if you kind of spoon it out to the right and then try and cut it into the green and then like double cross it into the heather on the left and then you're hacking down then you know what that's a different type of day now i'm going to yeah. try and chop it around but you stand up and then hit those hit draw fade you're like i'm on it i'm on it today
0: yeah it's got some of the most exquisite land forms around that green as well it's like wild around the sort of the left side of the green is kind of the high side of the green and it can leave a really tricky sort of up and down from up there but then the right side's the low side but it's got wild sort of undulations in that sort of low side of the green and they've made the green surfaces a lot bigger haven't they
1: so it can... yeah a lot bigger and, and that Not was one of the platforms. first one of the first bunkers I kind of noticed where Ryan kind of changed it to and um, and uh, the the architects at uh, DeVries and Pont, they changed started using affinity bunkers yeah where so when you're putting from the left hand side back down towards the right hand side or back down the green yeah you kind of have that green the, the no fringe drops straight into a bunker. Yeah. So it has that tiny, if you have like a 30 foot putt, bit of a
0: sand belty type thing. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. So even if, the, even if the bunkers 12, 15 feet past the hole, there's a little piece of you, you thinks, Oh, I can't really go at this. <laughs> you know, like when's the last time I hit a putt 12 feet past? They just don't do it, but it just plays in your head.
0: Yeah. Well, that's, um, I mean, the Anton is somewhere that, that have done some great stuff and it's interesting to, to, to finish off. I know you've got, so let's, if I just, Briefly touch on them because they they're worth mentioning. You've got the Prince's uh, Shore Second. You've got Sandown New Fifth, which is a gorgeous golf hole, absolutely gorgeous golf hole. Walton Heath Old. Uh,
1: What does end of the run mean? So I think the first six holes of Walton Heath on the Old Course some of the hardest, like one of the hardest first sixes in golf. Do you think? Yeah, if you get out of that six holes in plus one, you know, as a pro, like if you get out of that that first six in plus one, you're kind of off to the races then. Yeah, you go par three, par five, short par four, short par four. Then the back nine, you know you can get at. Yeah. But that first six holes, again, it's a it's a real make or break. Yeah. You got hit a lot of big shots early in your round. Like you get no kind of you get no like run into like building up to a big hole. It's like two thirty par three, cold two iron, wind coming into you. Yeah. Second, no, not not too bad, but still driving a mid iron. You know, then you get like it drives the, laced with danger as well. Yeah. Like left is dead, right is dead. Then you get to four. Four is just like the most impossible holes in the world. It's
0: with the center with the center line bunkers and the center line heather. Exactly, it's nailed. Yeah, <laughs> where do you
1: go there? Like, and then number five, like you've got that big swaley green, and then you get to number, then you get to number six, which is like a sunken tee. Yeah, sunken tee. So the fairway's above you, which is always quite intimidating. And then you just and you can't you can see heather up on the right hand side, two bunkers cutting into the fairway. And you just see this tiny little strip of fairway down the right of the bunkers and it's like almost again nowhere to hit it because you can't yeah. lay back from the bunkers because it leave you too long in so you just got to stand up and hit a proper shot yeah and hope it comes off and then i feel like once you get to that green you're like yeah oh, oh, <laughs> come on <laughs> right. let's go i
0: haven't said that i think that it's seven is the par three is that seven mm. that's not an easy goal either. no
1: it's not no yeah, yeah, it's, yeah true yeah like seven's pretty tough but i always find that par threes as long as they're not 230 at least, like, you're on a good line. Yeah,
0: yeah you, you, you're you a professional golfer. Yeah, I the mean, T yeah.
1: shots, shots for me have always been the most intimidating part of golf. Like, that's the real, always been the make or break to the point where my mum would, not a golfer, would come and watch me play golf. And she would, like, whenever I was putting, she would, like, close her eyes or walk off. <laughs> and I'll be like, I'll talk to her afterwards and say, Why do you keep, like, why do you get so nervous when I'm putting? Because oh, I'm just so nervous watching you putt. And I'm like, Putting's an easy part because. I'm gonna make it or miss it, but I'm good at putting. I'm like, Mum, you wanna get nervous on the tee because I might never see this Pro V one again. <laughs> it might be the last He's time we spent time each. together. I can't, yeah. I can't just be, I'm so nervous. That's when the heart rate goes up. Not not on the greens.
0: Uh and the golf balls are available. Um
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: No, I would say, did you spend any time at Walton Heath for the women's open this year?
1: Yeah, we did. Um, so I used to be a member at Walton Heath growing up. Oh did you? Um, so like, you know, that was it was great to then then see the women's open. At Walton Heath, um, I mean, they,
0: it's a hard golf course, and they tore it. They tore it up. didn't they. It's
1: a hard golf course. Well, I think once you get out of those six, I think that's a really scorable golf course. Yeah, they have. They had a few. Um, they do. It's a bit of a composite course.
0: Yeah, yeah, there's I think twelve and thirteen from the new. Yeah, and the rest so they don't of, use the first hole, which yeah. is a
1: tough hole, and then they and then the holes they use actually. Are, I mean, they're quite straightforward, but the longish holes, it's quite tough. But it, I think it was a, it was a great look for the week in terms of it looked lovely nice and green and yeah it, it was a good real show from that point i think from a playing point of view I think i probably would have liked it a little bit more burnt out a little bit firmer yeah but it was a really good show for the women golfers there there was yeah. some fantastic golf played there was like you know a real vibe of like wanting charlie Hole to win yeah you know it was a, it was a like, bit of a rory vibe wasn't it yeah well, i'm
0: actually just making so um we did a little did bit little of work, work down, down, down at Wilton Heath, and i'm just finishing off uh like a commemorative film and I, on the final day, on the 11th, uh, I was, we were following the final group. So we got Lilia Vu and Charlie Hull coming down on the 11th. Uh, and I, I don't know why I did this, but there was this, like a standy grandstand at the back of 11. And I went and stood to the left of it. And Charlie Hull was in the bunker uh, uh, on the par 5 11th uh, in two shots. Horrible lie. But I didn't, for some reason, I didn't face Charlie Hull. I just turned around and started filming the stand right they all stood in the stand it was it just it was framed quite nicely so i'll just film those people and then i just thought, go on go on and like everyone starts creeping forward and then they just erupted when she obviously i didn't even watch that i didn't even watch the shot but she'd obviously held the bunker shot at 11 and then you're like christ there's three in it here yeah? yeah this could happen that was really but what was i think what i forgot about i went to three events this year i went to the the open holy lake the women's open uh, Walton Heath and the World Cup at St. Andrews. I'd say the Walker Cup at St. Andrews was easily the best thing I've ever gone to watch in the history of my life because you could walk the fairway with the players. There was only about 5,000 people there every day, which spread across the players was, was enough. But second, by but easily second, for as far as viewing experience, was the women's at Walton Heath. I thought it was brilliant. I, I walked with the final group as a member of the crowd, same as everybody else, and you, you could, could watch, watch every, every shot, shot. and it's brilliant. I, yeah, I love it. You
1: felt you felt a real part of it there. Yeah, you were able to get close yeah. enough, and it felt like I you know, think there's, there's a lot more light. I think some, to a certain extent, it's almost more. It's they almost more real.
0: Yeah, because you feel inv- you feel invested in it as opposed to what well, I think at the Open, it's just too difficult to do that. So you end up like watching a hole, and you're kind of seeing a shot, and you're saying, oh, that's quite skillful. But you're not invested in the story, and yeah, yeah. And I thought the women's this year, Walton Heath was 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 cracking, right? The Nemesis Hole, the eighth. We've got to talk about this, and then we'll skip skip to the back nine.
1: Yeah, the Nemesis Hole. This is a little bit like, um, this is a little bit like the first hole, at Woodcote Park, but pre that. So when I very first started playing, like anyone has, there was just I could I was getting going. I'd play golf with my dad. And we played. There was a public course called Oaks Park Sports Centre, and we had a golf course. And uh nine hole and eighteen hole and the eight and we kind of graduated to the eighteen hole, that was time to you know for big boy golf. And, and I a nice sort of start to the golf course and I was trying to, you know, in that in that realm where you're trying to break a hundred. Uh, every yeah. every Saturday yeah. you're going out and it's like, this is the week. I'm gonna break it 100 this me every week. week so. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So um and most of the course okay. I'm you know, I'm still a kid, so I'm still like dealing with my emotions of expecting everything to be perfect, even though I've only been playing golf for six months. And the eighth hole is a par five on a big slope left to right um, with a bit of a race green at the end of it. And obviously, so being a, being a youngster, not being able to hit the ball very far, there's going to be an amount of shots just to get to the green. Yeah. And I can still remember to this day that, that eight was my best score for such a long time into my golfing life. Because, and it, you know, that, that piece where it builds up in your head that, I mean, there's not, when I think back now, it's not even, you're not even worried about trees or anything, but it was just something about it. I just couldn't break, couldn't make less than eight yeah on that hole. And it would always like set me in a really bad mood for them for the rest. You spend another hour in a complete funk having made a 10, yeah. or a nine, or an 11, or something like that. And um, and that was like a real, and, and I, you know, you couldn't break 100, it just wouldn't happen. And there was this one day where I remember holding a putt from the front fringe for a six and just feeling like such elation. <laughs> and that was the day I broke a hundred. And it just like, I thought it was just never going to happen. And and to, to be, you know what? It's one of those situations. If I'd never gotten through that, if I'd have gone three more rounds of hit making more than freaking eight, I might have just sacked off golf altogether. Wow. It might have just never ne- might never come to and But then once I'd done that once, that was it. I was off and running then, and you break a hundred, and then that hole is nothing now. And I actually really want to go back and play that hole now. When was the last time we played it? I would have played that. Car. Is it still open? Yeah, absolutely still open. I reckon it will be twenty. How old am I now? I 28, twenty-eight, twenty-nine years. Like you
0: play it, I'll come film it. We'll go. We'll Honestly, go play that. We'll play that hole. It's
1: gonna be such a disappointing experience because I'm gonna <laughs> go. I'm gonna go drive a nine on to the green and there'll be nothing. But like, what was that? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah well I'll give you kids clubs and you'll have to do it with with kids clubs
1: also another part there's a road run, to, run across from the t-shirt and again that was another like could you reach it? can I get past the road in two shots and then it was the day but the day that I could then drive over the road I think it was when I never went, never went back because it was too like, easy. like this yeah, course now. Yeah, right. too easy yeah life's too
0: easy the Belfry 10th this is getting your tour card so Damn.
1: yeah so I, I've
0: never got a card on the 10th before
1: so well long story short I had had a car crash just before turn pro. Turn pro, had a few years trying to get over my injury. Was finally starting to make a comeback, and I got I pre qualified for the French Open. Having had no tour card, did well. Went to the Deutsche Bank off of an invite, did well. So I was I went from having no tour card, barely playing Challenge Tour, to like now I'm getting invites into most weeks on the tour at the end of that season, and I've got a chance to get my tour card. And this was my sixth event of that year on invites and I knew that I needed a, needed a top 10 basically to get my tour card which from having no card in yeah. no status in May to having a tour card in like September was like unthinkable really I literally I borrowed 500 quid to go to the French Open qualifying off my mum in in May maybe start of June to you know to September you know having like you know 300 grand in my bank account and Buying a telly in the airport. I hope she got interest. Thinking just didn't just feel like I made it because I bought a 46 inch <laughs> television. You know what I mean? Like, it was such a, such a moment. Anyway, so coming to the belfry, myself, my whole team were aware that I needed a good week and invites were running out to get my car for the following year. But there was one little piece of me being like, three months ago, I was borrowing £500. Pounds. Yeah. Now, like, my life has completely changed. I'll have some sort of category for next year. Yeah. But still, you want to get your car, that is the one. And as a psychologist at the time, and we were going through my core strategy, and obviously we get to the tenth and the tenth of your famous hole, mm. the first ever goal from That ever that was short four. The first ever golf I ever went to watch was a '93 Ryder Cup, and watching Peter Baker there with his Ping B60, you know, hole twenty foot putt to, you know, playing a long, was like the first shot I saw when I arrived, having parked up and walked out to the tenth hole. So it was like the first it so holds a bit of, of a nice place in my heart, for my dad and I. Because that was like the the 10th century was the first hole I saw of a Ryder Cup. Yeah. And so it's a really reachable hole. Like you can get on there with probably a two iron or a forward at that kind of length in the modern equipment. And we're going through a strategy and I'm playing well. So I'm like, well, I'm going for 10. And my psychologist is like, can you just do me a favor? Just any other week, can you go for it? But this week, can you just lay up? And I'm like, you know, I'm kind of now tapping into my 16-year-old's Open at Carnot like, no, nah, F that. What are you talking about? I'm playing well. I'm just going to cut you through onto the green. And he was just like, he just pleaded with me that like, just this week, can you just lay up? Trust me, can you just lay up? And I remember in the first round, I get to the get to the tee. And and the thing about it, the layup's like, it's a freaking 9-9. It's like a 9-9 a or a wedge off the tee and then wedge onto the green. So it's like a, such a pathetic yeah. layup. And I remember just like standing there with my caddy and, then my, and I'm looking across at my coach psychologist who's standing about eight feet away from me on purpose but <laughs> the other side of the ropes. I look at him and he's obviously not able to say anything to me but I'm like, so I'm like yeah, give, me, give me the nine on. I said nine off. Wedge it on, mate, birdie. Then I think a par, same again on Friday, mate, par. And then I think on a Saturday, same again, lay up, knock it on the green, mate, birdie. To get to the last round, I'm going quite well. And it's a back pin, It's a bit more accessible. And it was like it was the first time I just thought I I was on it. I'd hold I'd hold a wedge shot on the eighth hole after chipping it out. I was like, I can't miss today. And I was like, I really wanted to just go for it because I moved the tee up on the weekend yeah. as well. And, it, I met, and my psychologist was there, I looked at him and I was just like and I really had to bite my lip and I was like and I laid up. Oh, did you? And I laid up again. Not on the green, it's about ten feet holding my birdie. So I then progressed that round, that round unfolded and um Probably played the most nerve wracking hole of my life on the 18th. Made a par.
0: What did you, what did, you did you? know you needed a par on 18? Is that weird? You... had an idea. Yeah. Like,
1: yeah, you know, like in that realm, like I knew I was up there. More people come out to watch. I could tell that like, everyone else, was, all my friends and family and team were nervous walking around. So I knew it was kind of there. You have a feeling, you don't know yeah. exactly because obviously there's other things at play. And um, yeah, and I made a par at the 18th. And yeah, weird actually, like, do you, do you feel, feel like that like was like a coming of, coming
0: of age, of that decision to, the sensible decision?
1: It was, it, it was, because I remember sitting down afterwards and then my psychologist after the tournament going, by the way, do you know that you paid that I whole 300 pounds? I like, yeah. he said, you paid that the best out of anybody in the whole tournament. Nobody really? else is 300 or better. So it was like, it was like a real, it was a bit of a coming of age moment of like, yeah, that, that kind of works. Um, so yeah, that's why that one's in there. It was a real smart, smart paid off that one time.
0: Um, I think we've got time for a couple more
1: yeah, we've got time we've so, got time
0: I quite I quite like the 13th the 13th the third, yeah is, is, a, is a nice one because I think this is a recent one for you
1: this is a recent one um, I had a couple of 13th but I opted to go for this one so this was the 13th at Queenwood uh, it's a par 5 um, so this summer I played in the Queenwood Cup so the Queenwood Cup is uh, one member and essentially a professional. Or sometimes if the if the member is a pro, they'll invite somebody. And it's it's kind of difficult to get into. Kind of, the, kind of difficult to get into.
0: I think it's easier to win the lottery. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the point of like, well, first of all, you've got to be invited, you've got to know a member. Technically, you've got to be invited by the member. The third part is they've got to let you and that member into their into this program, into the Queenwood Cup. So initially... Um, my partner, a really good friend of mine, Rick Lewis, who's a member there, said to me, he said, Do you want to play in the Queenwood Cup this year? It's like a they play every two years. And he and um I was like, Yeah, of course, I'd love to play. Great. Anyway, as it transpired, he put the entry in and I mean, I need to get the list of the names up. But basically we weren't in. He called me and saying, I'm really embarrassed about this, but we didn't make the first cut, we're not in. Really sorry. I'm upset, but like wait, it is and anyways, the field is and he was like you're a bit gutted, but on the other hand, you're like, "Well, the
0: field uh, is akin to like the seminal pro pro am, yeah. isn't it? It's kind of like the
1: field is uh, John Rahm, Roy McIlroy, Shane Lowry, uh, Victor Perez, um, Tommy Fleetwood. You know, it's, it's all right, it's, it's okay, decent, yeah, it's decent. But interesting enough, I think I think the pros are probably more impressed by the people they're playing with because um, they're kind of like corporate celebrities and such yeah. and such. But yeah, it's a and it's a, it's a fantastic day out anyway. So Tom went on. Went in, no problems. Anyway, a week before, Rick calls me and says, Right, Zane, they said that like, they've got a spot for us. What do you think? And I was just like <laughs> I'm thinking like of course it's a it's a day out of Queenwood. Like you're gonna say yes any day, you get to go to Queenwood, but it was like, yeah, I was like and Rick's super competitive. I said, like, Rick, yeah, let's go let's play. Let's win it. You know, a little bit tongue in cheek, a bit like yeah, it's, it's not a bad field, is it? So then, So we go there and uh it's a lovely day you know, so many things I could explain to you, but one of the parts is the 13th hole, all the green keeps come out, all the staff come out, and they set up the track man and they have a longest drive. So now you've got a longest drive, which is somewhere on in my Instagram. And
0: I, I I remember exactly when this was because I remember texting you saying, what earth are you doing? Because it was a week before the open, wasn't
1: it? A week before the open, yeah. So that's where they that's had to get all was. the good players in town, basically. And, you know, as I said before, I'm not a long hitter anymore. Like, I just get it out there. I just try and hit it straight. But, there's that little piece in you, which is like, I wonder if I, wonder if I could just crank this oh, one up. I'm,
0: re- I'm ready to break the body on this one. Yeah,
1: let's, let's just turn this on a little bit. And anyway, and, and also, there's a lot of people there, and it's been measured. So it's a, it's a bit, ner- you're, you're feeling the adrenaline pumping yeah. and nervy. But there's that moment, it's like, you know, I'm just going to throw myself at this, and hopefully it goes straight. And anyway, yeah, so the T t-shirt, is quite a straightforward t-shirt, and I threw myself at it. Again, you're nervous, so you can't really feel your arms or whatever. I was a bit pumped up, and I ripped it. Come out in the middle of the cover face, and it went dead straight. And uh, they go down there, and they measure it. And it was in, it was straight into the wind, but it hit like a nice knuckly T-shot. So that was great. And uh, so, yeah, so we get get down there, and it was like three... I can't remember exactly how far it was. So they say it was like three on, 303, but it was into the wind. But apparently, this is the thing. It Apparently, it hit a sprinkler head on the far side. It stopped it. So the boy down said it was actually oh, going... It
0: so would have gone even further. It
1: was actually going further. But it did actually hit the upside of the spring head. But I was like, I didn't care. It went straight. And it went... It didn't go like... I was... What well, I didn't want it to get a spinny one. Yeah. Got like 245 into the wind. Yeah. But it didn't go out like that. Anyway, as it kind of transpired, I'm just trying to find the list now, was that Rory McIlroy was playing behind me. And so we kind of watch it anyway so it looked like he hit a drive close where I hit it and we came and, we, and it, I got the list for afterwards and my drive went further than Rory McIlroy <laughs> and we're in the change rooms and Rory came in and he's like alright I so think I used to play with Rory like when I first got on tour we both got on I can't, like, the same year the uh, same year at the Belfry and he came up to me and goes oh it, how's it going he goes oh you, I to, you still got it and I saw your drive out there and at that as a moment as a golfer for Rory McIlroy is that the highest honestly I don't think there's, there's not a bigger moment <laughs> But not a bigger moment for Roy McIlroy to come up to you and say like you've still got it. No, indeed, they're like I haven't really got it. it was just Into the wind <laughs> and hit a nothing ball. I haven't had it in years, but, uh, but so to have that think? there. But I've tricked him. Absolutely magic. Yeah, that was such a big moment for me. So yeah, and it was it's one of those little moments in your golfing life. You think I'll remember this moment forever. If him congratulates me and about driving, strange out that, out that him.
0: you've you know competed in an open professional golfer. You've had really big highs, and this is the same for everybody in life. It's it's such little things that people really. Re- cling on to forever
1: of all the things that i've done like I've, i'm not i don't know i've done loads in golf but you know i played in open championships and that sort of stuff but it's like and another part of the queenwood cup is like when i was a kid i used to get my name in gold leaf on the board all the time and as you get older, you turn professional you don't get to play in those tournaments yeah and now playing that tournament it was such a big deal to, to have our names in gold leaf in the queenwood clubhouse and my name was right underneath Rory McElroy and, you know, of all the things I've done in golf, that was like, like having that, I've got that now forever. Like that's one of my most, you know, like Is that enough that you,
0: you would think about giving up professional status and, and turning hamster yeah, again? Is I've that- thought
1: about this. I've thought about this a few times because I'm a golf lover, love playing. I would love to go and play the old championship I used to play in. But there is, uh, I'm in that realm now where I'm not on tour I'm not good enough I'm not, not in that realm I can play on tour now and compete and, and compete the world's best but I can still play but I just feel like if I as much as I'd love to go back and play the amateur championship try and play in the US amateur you know to maybe get to Augusta one day I just, it just wouldn't feel right yeah it's just something about it it's like I'm, I'm not an amateur I'll because spend, you've been professional I've been a professional yeah. and it like it would be a hollow I feel yeah. like it would be hollow if I did it
0: yeah it'd be strange is, if you entered mid wouldn't it
1: yeah, it wouldn't feel right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's was, very noble. Yeah, I mean, but that's, that's not, not being arrogant, so i would definitely win them. But just if I did do well, it just wouldn't feel right.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, I think we've got time for two more. We're going to do 14 and 18. 14 is St. Andrews with your dad.
1: 14 is St. Andrews with with the, the old pot and pan on the bag. So I think this kind of like embodies what St. Andrews is about. I think that the, when you first play St. Andrews, a lot of the feedback is like, I don't see the big deal. Like, you know, it's, uh, you can't see much from the tee. You know, it's hard to see what the allure is. And then the more you play it, and you see all the different ways you can play it, all of a sudden, like, the magic of St. Andrew's comes out. Yeah. And my dad, I'd played there loads of times before the Open in the St. Andrew's Links Trophy as an amateur and sometimes with friends. And then I was fortunate enough to qualify for the Open Championship in 2010, year that Louis won. Um, and my dad had caddy for me in the qualifying so then I could not ask him to carry for me <laughs> in the tournament. Uh, so that was, yeah, that was a nice experience. Having been back making an eight at Oaks Park on the eighth hole to then walking the first hole at St. Andrews in the open, you know, however many years on that was a nice moment with, with the old man. And, but this, this one part was the 14th hole, par five, hell bunker, par five at St. Andrews, out of bounce all down the right, kind of reachable in the right wind. If it's yeah. into the wind, it's not reachable. Um, hit my drive in the fairway. In the first, and in the practice round, I'd played, I think it was downwind, so we were just like driver three by the green, driver three by the green. But in the first round, I think it was, it was like in two out the right. And um, so it was unre- not reachable now from the tee shot. And having played there in the St. Andrews in having had a local caddy, he said he said to me, well, if you go back down five, which yeah. is basically hitting hitting a five iron at nearly 45 yeah, Degree angle to where the pin is, ignoring the hole, then that leaves you like an eight iron or nine iron, quite an easy approach shot to the green because the way the angle of the green yeah. sits. I think most of the listeners probably know St. Andrews quite well. So, but my dad doesn't know this, right? Yeah. So he's taking into effect, he's looking at this open championship yardage book, which like you need a degree to be able to work out all the numbers <laughs> and the humps and hollows, especially in yeah. St. Andrews, as it is. So I can tell he's like working hard, you know, trying to work that out. And so I get to the hole, I'm like, right, I'm going to hit five iron, I'm going to hit it, and I'm pointing back down five like way way yeah. left Yeah, you know, 160 yards left of the middle midline yeah and I can see he's just like uh okay <laughs> and I'm trying to practice swinging and I, I'm fine I'm like I'm looking over here but I can see he's worried now yeah and he doesn't want to like step in because it's only the first round and so I can see I can see he's worrying and panicking a little bit
0: that you've gone for the wrong flag or something yeah
1: yeah and, I can, and he's like uh and I, I stopped I was like by the way dad I know that's the hole down there but but if you go here I'm telling you this is the line and I can see he, and he's like oh okay but he's just completely bamboozled and anyway I hit my shot and I go left and even when we're walking I can think he, I can tell in his mind is thinking
0: what's going on here he's with? lost the plot
1: <laughs> but, then, but then there's that little moment when you get down there which St Andrews does to you which I always say get a local caddy when you go to yeah. St Andrews and you get to your ball and you've done something that the caddy told you and you go Ah, yeah, now I get what he's talking yeah. about. But it's completely alien to everything else you're taught in golf. So that's got, you know, there's so many different holes in St. Andrews, but I think that's, that's like a real, I just want to do something a little bit different, and that was one that kind of, that for me tells you the story of St. Andrews. Yeah,
0: it's a, it's a, you know, it's cliches it's are it's a cliche, plenty for St. Andrews, but it's a, think, it's a thinking person's golf course, isn't it? And if you, can, if you can think your way around it, and it's so difficult to play away from a flag in any situation, let alone... Um, Alone when when you've got something on the line like you did at the open. Um okay. Uh you've been very generous with your time and I know you're you're a busy man. So Downfield. One more 18.
1: downfield. Downfield eighteen. Um this one Where's Downfield? So Downfield is in Dundee. Okay. It's got a nice inland, lovely inland parking course, very close to Dundee Airport. Not that many people would have heard of it. If you ever get the opportunity to go and play it, go play it. I've got Probably got most of my golf stories I could talk about for an hour from this, and it's because I say this one because this is where I qualified for the Open Championship in '99. Um I would do some other chats and the other stories, but this one I picked the 18th hole here, uh, obviously for for two reasons. One, because it means so much to myself in terms of being a 16 year 16 year old having to par the last. It's a short par four, shortish par four, like a two iron, nine iron. I, mean, I say two iron. Like I you two iron now? I use two iron when I was sixteen? Not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Left to right, dog leg, four um, hundred, maybe four hundred yards or so. Flattish green from memory. You know, it was a long, long time ago. Um, I was obviously on on the cusp of qualifying for the Open Championship, making you know making some personal history. Lots of people there watching, and what first of all hit, hitting a two iron out in the middle under pressure. Into the fairway, 9-9 onto the green, having quite a longish two-putt, maybe 30 feet, knowing that, you know, any any slip-up, you know, 30 to qualifying, any slip-up so late on in the round could cost you everything. Two-putting for a par and having that moment of then walking off the green seeing the leaderboard, seeing them come to be qualified was, you know, a moment that I would never, ever forget. To add on to that, to then I play quite early, finishing, kind of having tea or whatever, overlooking the 18th green, seeing another crowd come down, Paul Laurie, come down the 18th hole, good tee shot, hits it onto the green. Uh, yeah, qualified to I? about 40 feet. Anyway, Paul Laurie holds his putt from 40 feet across that green to qualify. Yeah. It's a some... big part on the last green, I remember in fist pumping to get in, to qualify in the open. And in those days, it was Sunday, Monday qualifying and then Tuesday you're on the range of the Open. Yeah. So he holes apart Monday up evening to get into the Open and then six days later he's lifting the jug. Yeah. All happened on that hole and it was just like, yeah, so the 18th downfield holds uh, quite strong in my memory.
0: Zane, you've been a legend. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for taking the time. How did you find the exercise?
1: Really enjoyable. A little bit stressful towards the end, <laughs> I must admit. Um But yeah, I, what a, such a great exercise it, just, it, it pulls out loads of stories emotions feelings off of my own career in golf and I, but which what well, well, is nice i think everybody has yeah has that in golf and it means a lot to everybody i would suggest for everybody to go through it so it's not not a process that, that comes doesn't happen in 10 minutes no no it's a long you one you've got to think about the paths the balance of the course. I mean, you so got you got brilliant. three
0: fives in a row, but I'll, I'll let you let it go. But I you mean, I talked you down finding two holes from the Whizley. That was the hard one. But <laughs> we'll we'll post uh, the full eclecticating on the show notes alongside this. Saying Scotland. Thank you very much indeed. Watch
1: this.